Amen. You may be seated this morning, and I want to invite you to take a copy of God's Word and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. And I know uh, the thing today is digital uh, devices, and, and I'm all about that at home. Um, I have this iPad, and I have uh, the ESV on there, and I have a Bible app on there, and a lot of times I'll read the Word on a digital uh, device. If I'm going somewhere to a meeting and they say, uh, open your word. You know, I, I have it on my phone, and I'll just flip it over there on my phone and open it up. But today, seeing that we are going to be talking about um, biblical preaching and teaching and sound doctrine and how healthy churches focus on that, I want to encourage you right here uh, at the beginning of the year. I'll tell you, I find it hard to have anything that is better uh, than just a good bound Bible that you can write in and take notes in and that you can... Uh, put things in that you can uh, pour over. Uh, it's a treasure. It, it really is a treasure. I have shared with you all before that when I am asked to do people's funeral and I know they're faithful and they talk to me about how they love God's Word, I'll always ask the family, hey, can I borrow that Bible uh, overnight and let me just look through it and thumb through it? And uh, I, It's amazing what you see that the Lord has taught people down through the years and uh, where they've just made notes in the margin or maybe they've taking notes, or maybe occasionally a family will say, you know what, they didn't write in their Bible, but I'll give you their latest journal, and here's a journal where they have taken notes, and you can just tell they were really serious about uh, God's Word. I, All of my preaching Bibles, all of my uh, Bibles that I read and study out of, they're just uh, littered with notes and different things that I have uh, written down, and uh, I always, when I get a new book or a Bible, I'll, I'll write one of the boys' names in the upper right-hand corner on the inside page because uh, when I'm gone, I, I don't want there to be any mistake on who's supposed to get what uh, from Pop's Library. And so um, I want to make sure the boys all have a book. And sometimes I'll just pray and say, God, which boy really needs this book? Which one's going to really benefit from this later on in life? Maybe they'll pass it on to their kids. Maybe they'll use it themselves. I'm not for sure. And so I take that time just to make this pitch. Uh, what a great time of year to get really serious about digging in to your Bible study, and I will uh, be an advocate for that, whether it's digital or uh, with a uh, bound copy of God's Word. But I'm telling you, there's something neat about that bound copy that you can pass on uh, to others uh, after you're gone. And so Acts chapter 2, we're going to be reading verse 42. Today, as we can continue to study about healthy church, God's plan for a fit church family. We started this series uh, last week, and uh, we're just sort of working through Acts chapter 1, uh, Acts chapter 2, and looking at the characteristics of the New Testament church and how God uh, positioned them and used them and worked in them uh, to be, one, healthy believers, healthy followers, knowing that healthy believers, healthy followers will make for a real healthy church that will go out and fulfill the mission that God's called it to, namely to make disciples of all people uh, to the uh, ends of the earth, in Jerusalem, uh, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so we see how God positioned these people uniquely. He worked in their hearts and lives, and you can see uh, the difference that healthy people and healthy churches make in the life of a culture or society. Uh, recently, one of our church family members here uh, got a new car, and they couldn't wait to show me this new car and talk to me about this new car. A matter of fact, they had questions about some of the new car features, and I said, 
You're going to have to talk to Brian about that. I, I don't know anything. If it's technology-driven, I give it to Brian. I said, Brian, Brian may be able to help you with figuring out how to program that on your car, how to get that feature to work on your car. This car had all the bells and whistles on it. You know, it talked to you. And, uh, windshield wipers come on automatically, and it's got brake assist. And, you know, I think you just pretty much just got to get in it, and it'll take you where you're going, you know. And, uh, but this particular person who had bought this car, uh, they said, well, I just started reading the manual, and I'm going to have all this manual read. And, man, they started studying that manual. And so they were getting ready to go on a trip, and I called them by name, and I said, do you know how to operate that car now? And they said, yeah, I, I know how to operate. I read every bit of the manual. And so I said, you know what you're doing with that? Yeah, oh, yeah. And there was one thing I couldn't figure out, and listen to what they said. So I called the dealer. I called the dealer to find out how this particular feature was supposed to work on the car. How did, I, how did I get that car to do what I needed to do? How would it work in a way that would benefit me? I want to say to you today, healthy churches intently focus on biblical preaching and teaching. A matter of fact, you're going to hear throughout the sermon today that out of everything we do as a church family, Nothing is more important than the right teaching and preaching, studying and learning of God's Word here on Sunday mornings, first and foremost, primarily in this setting, then in our life groups, then what we do on Wednesday nights. And I'm excited to tell you on Wednesday nights we're studying the gospel in life and just how the gospel is intended to live out in us and through our hearts and in our community and uh, just how God wants to use that, and we meet in room A104. There's other people who are preparing to share the word in song. Our kids uh, meet for Awana where they're being encouraged to hide God's word in their heart. Our students meet, and they're being taught the word, and, and the word is being proclaimed to them in a, a, a really great way. And if you say, well, pastor, if I was pastor of a church and it was my responsibility to preach, I would say that too, and that can sort of sound like a self-serving statement, right? Out of everything that we do as a church, uh, the correct preaching and teaching uh, and intent focus on that is the most important thing we do. I want to say to you, that may appear self-serving, but it scares the living time out of me. Like, if you felt my hands right now, I'm sweating up here, right? And so if you felt my forehead... There's uh, perspiration there because I'm warm. If you felt my hands, they're ice cold, but they're wet with sweat right now. And if you say, why is that, man? You're 55. You've been doing this a, a long time. I pray I never come to the pulpit without that idea of, God, I need you. Uh, we're about to read your word. This is the word of God that, that speaks and that is living that's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's this word that through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit brings life change upon people. And so it is God speaking. And so I know you're just settling in, but today in reverence and honor of God's word, would you stand with us as we read Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and as we begin to focus on how healthy churches intently focus on biblical preaching and teaching. That is building upon last week how healthy churches minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
healthy churches focus intently on biblical preaching and teaching. Verse 42, Acts 2. Hear the word of the Lord, church family. And they, the disciples, the apostles, those 3,000 people who had been saved, the new birth church, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now look with me at verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Amen. You may be seated this morning. To be a healthy church full of healthy Christians requires an unwavering commitment to the primacy of biblical preaching and teaching. I want you to hear what Steve Lawson has to say about the importance, the, the centrality of the Word of God in all that we do and say as Christians and all that we do and say as a church. Recently when I went to the doctor and, and they were working on me and they were prescribing these new medicines, I said, wait a minute, uh, I want to make sure I know what I'm taking. And so he explained what I was going to be taking and he told me how long I'd be taking one and then he told me how long he thought I'd be taking another. And what do you think I did when I got home? Tracy said, what did he say? And so I told her and she said, well, I'm going to go pick up that medicine so you get to feeling better. And I said, wait, before I do that, I want to read and see what it is that he has prescribed to me, right? So I went online and I read all I could read uh, from Mayo Clinic about these particular prescriptions that he had given me because I wanted to know how they were going to work in me. I wanted to know how uh, God was intending to use that medicine to be a blessing to me. And I want you to listen to what Lawson says about the, the primacy of the Word of God in the early church. He said the early church experienced spiritual vitality not because of gimmicks or, or gimmicky techniques, but because it focused on the priority of biblical teaching. Along, the Holy Spirit worked powerfully in the first church by leading the apostles to be prolific in their teaching ministry. Sound doctrine enriched every aspect of the church's life. Everything flowed from the pure fountain of biblical truth. The apostles' ministry of preaching and teaching is mentioned more than any other thing uh, or any other activity that they were engaged in in the New Testament. You see that in Acts 2.42, chapter 3, verse 11 through 26, chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, um, verses 8 through 12, verses 19 through 20, 31, 33, chapter 5, 20 through 21, verses 29 through 32, verse uh, 42, chapter 6, 2, 4, 7, 11, 13, and 14, and then chapter 7, verses 1 through 53. Lawson goes on and he says, So overwhelming is the evidence that it can be argued that Acts is primarily a record of apostolic preaching and teaching empowered by the Holy Spirit. No matter where they were, these apostles were preaching and they were teaching. Whether it was in Solomon's portico, in public gatherings, before the Sanhedrin, or from house to house, they boldly taught in the name of Christ that which they had learned from the Lord himself. Even in the face of life-threatening dangers, the apostles refused to be silenced, declaring we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. When the demands of ministry grew complex, they would not be diverted from their central task of teaching the word of God. They said, 
This is Acts 6. It's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God, most notably when the successful expansion of their ministry was described, the Lord described it through the pen of Luke and the Holy Spirit as being measured in terms of the spreading of the word of God and the disciples uh, increased greatly. The early church experienced spiritual vitality. Listen to what he said. Not because of gimmicky techniques or innovative programs, but because it focused on the priority of biblical teaching and sound doctrine. My brothers and sisters, it is vitally important. It's so important that our church council guys, and I've been talking, uh, one of our church council guys came to me and he said, have you seen this 2020 reading plan? I said, I've not. And he said, man, it's one book a month for uh, the 12 months of 2020. And he says it just deals with clarifying uh, our biblical and theological vision as a church family. And so uh, he asked if our church council guys could read it and could we invite our deacons to do it. And uh, I'm glad that those books are ready. And, and if you're participating with us, all of our church council guys are. And I want to encourage you deacons to participate with us. Uh, they are in bags ready for you to pick up in the church office this morning. I'm holding the first book so you can see how big they are, fellas. They're not going to take you all month to read. The first one is uh, Expositional Preaching, and it's by David Helm. And there's just 12 different books that we will read throughout the year that deal with subjects such as what is biblical preaching and what is sound doctrine and what is evangelism and uh, what what are... What is church discipline? And just a lot of different things. How do we best do missions? And we, we want to clarify that as a group of leaders, not because we uh, don't know anything about that subject, but it's really good when all of the leaders are on the same page. If you believe that to be true, say amen. And so we're excited about having that opportunity to read that because we want to take very seriously the notion and the idea that healthy churches intently focus on the right preaching and teaching of God's Word. I'm ashamed to tell you that when I started preaching, um, I didn't do it right. There are days, even uh, times now, that I still don't do it right. I go to the house, I'll ask Tracy about three questions and the boys. Tracy's more merciful and kind than the boys. If I say something that is just heretical or on the verge of heretical, she'll say, you said something just made a mess out of it. And I mean, she's not uh, shy to do that. The boys will say, Dad, you didn't know what you were talking about today. I mean, they're just really open and honest uh, about that. But there were times where I did not understand that the task of teaching the Word of God and preaching the Word of God was not something... I didn't realize, I thought it was something that I did. I did not realize that the word is what is not only to be read, but the word is what is to be proclaimed and explained. So there were lots of times I would do things as a young preacher. My first sermon, 10 minutes long. You say, I like those, go back to that. I'm telling you, that was no good. You would starve and dry up on it. I... Uh, I used the basketball principle and I read a passage of scripture, Henry, and then I taught a principle to Christians that I learned on a basketball court. And if somebody had said, well, I bet that was really good, it was awful. It was awful. I 
kept that sermon. I, I've went back and I've reread it. I've thought about burning it multiple times. And it just it just wasn't good. I've learned since then that God has spoken. Aren't you glad that He has? If you're glad of that, say amen. And that we have something to teach. We have something to proclaim. We have something to prophesy and declare. And it is the word of the Lord. And so with that in mind, look with me at verse 42 and notice those first four words. And they devoted themselves. And they devoted themselves. Healthy churches are sincere about learning God's word. I would mind you that they here, that they devoted themselves, they're not just the 12 apostles. They're not just the 120 who had gathered in the upper room. They're not just the small conglomerate. But Peter had already preached under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And a matter of fact, he had preached and proclaimed not only the gospel, but he had preached and proclaimed Old Testament prophecy too as it related to what was occurring in those days. And so as he preached and as he proclaimed, all of the people who had been born again were gathered there. They were hearing the word of God, not only hearing it in their own language, but they began to assemble themselves together day by day to learn God's word. They devoted themselves to the learning of God's word. Sometimes we think that the learning of God's word, the serious study of God's word, is just for pastors or just for staff members or just for deacons or for elders or somebody like that. Maybe it is if it's for life group leaders because after all they've got to teach a lesson on Sunday and so they need to be serious about the word. But I'm going to trust them to tell me all I need to know about the word and I'm not going to be serious about the word of God. Can I ask you a question this morning? Are you sincere about learning God's word? Are you sincere about growing in God's word? If you come to Jimmy Claywell's funeral this afternoon, one of the things I'm going to say to them is, and I told the family yesterday, Jimmy Claywell was really excited about learning God's word. The very first time that I met Jimmy, it was at his uh, daughter's funeral, Heather and Marcus Maddox's, uh, not funeral, excuse me, at, at their wedding here at the church. And I had shared some scripture and we got ready to pray and then go through rehearsal. And he came to me as soon as that was over and said, what was that verse of scripture you read again? And so I shared it again with him. And he said, and, and you think that relates to weddings and marriages as well? And I said, it certainly does. And he said, I want to learn more about that. Numerous Sundays, he would come to me and he would say, I didn't quite catch that, what you were teaching. Or he would say, I didn't understand that. Can you explain that more clearly or more fully? I mean, all that Jimmy was, he was excited to have an opportunity to learn God's word. I want to ask you this morning, are you excited about learning God's word? Because this statement here, they devoted themselves has a heavy meaning to it, a very serious meaning, a very sincere meaning to it. It means that they were continually devoting. It means that they were earnest towards. They were aiming to persevere. Their intention was not to start and stop, but their intention was they wanted to know all that God's Word had to say to them. It describes a steadfast, single-minded fidelity to a certain course of action. It meant to persist 
in a task, to keep on with devotion, to continue to do something with intense effort, and to do it so steadfastly that they would not quit. It says to give an unremitting care to a thing. This is what this means in the original language, to give unremitting care to this particular thing when it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, breaking of bread, and of prayers. My brothers and sisters, God wants us to be very sincere about learning God's word. There's lots of ways that you can learn God's word. Sometimes people will say to me, Preacher, what was the number way, number one way you learned or God taught you his word? And I said, well, first of all, he taught me God's word by allowing me to read it and become familiar with just the overall Bible layout and how he spoke from Genesis to Revelation. And that, that took me some time. It was a long time for me to understand sort of how the Old Testament related to the New Testament. But just beginning to understand and be able to navigate the Bible, to be able to understand there were two Testaments, to understand who the audience was that he was writing to. But I quickly will say, the second way that God taught me his word was through small groups and through life groups. Just the opportunity of listening to gifted teacher and then teachers and then listening to heretical teachers. When I came to faith in Christ, I attended a church in Edmonton whose uh, young adult group, high schoolers and college group, they had a teacher, and that teacher was just heretical. He would teach things that just wasn't in the Word, and he would construe the meaning of the Word. And I would leave there thinking, I'm not for sure that that guy understands what he's teaching about. And, and I lived with that for month after month, and finally I went and saw the, the pastor, and I just said, Bob, I, I don't know if this is right, but I don't, I don't think it's right. I don't think that's what the Scripture means. And the pastor listened to me, and he said he called a teacher by name. It's just so-and-so. He's not going anywhere. He said, maybe I can find a, a different class for you. I want you guys to know, at that particular time, I just knew and I realized, man, if they're going to allow people to teach that don't know what in the world they're teaching, it's probably not a healthy place for a new convert to be able to grow and to be able to ground it, to be able to be grounded in truth. But uh, so that comes in a positive way, sitting under godly teachers who let the word of God speak, but also being introduced to things that are not right so that your conscience and your mind can say, wait a minute, that's not what the word says. But then the third way was just through hearing the word of God preached. Now, are you ready? Are you strapped in this morning? If you are, say amen. When I got saved, uh, the guy that was mentoring me said, Shaw, you're serious about growing in God's Word. You ought to take notes. Because people who remember God's Word and then know how to apply it are people who take tremendous notes. And I said, what do you mean take notes? That just struck me. I, I hated taking notes in school. Are any of you there? I for sure didn't want to take notes in church when I went to church. And he said, I don't care where you write it, but you ought to pay attention. And when God speaks to you or he teaches you a new truth, you ought to write that down. And so I began to underline things in my Bible and I began to write things. I didn't go get a notepad. My very first Bible that someone got me after I was saved was called an open Bible. It's up in the office right now. And 
all this area, every blank page, you know, in the Bible, it's just covered in notes. I mean, how many of you have done that before, right? You've just littered your Bible with notes and different things that you heard. And I want to say to you, I not only listen to sermons on Sundays, but I got to realizing, wait a minute, there are all sorts of sermons. In those days, you know, it was on cassette tapes, but there's all sorts of sermons out there that you can put in and you can put in this boombox and you can learn and you can grow. My brothers and sisters, the question before us today is are you sincere about learning God's Word? And here's why that question is so important, imperative for us today. Because God is sincere about you knowing Him. He desires for you to know Him. And the number one, surest, most confident way you will know God is to study His Word. If you believe that this morning, say amen. Here's the second thing. Healthy churches are not only sincere about learning God's Word, but healthy churches are sincere about teaching God's Word. Notice the second part of verse 42. He says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What is the apostles' teaching? Was everything up to that point that the apostles had learned of Jesus and that they had learned from the Old Testament that Jesus had made clear to them while they were following him. I would remind you that an apostle was an eyewitness of the Lord. They had walked with the Lord. They had learned of the Lord. And the, as the Lord taught them new truths and then truths that were built on Old Testament texts, they learned that. Now, these fellows were not theological giants at this particular time. They had walked with the Lord for three and a half years and they had so much more to learn and they had so much more to grow in and they were certainly going to learn so much more that they could convey and teach to other people. But what they were sincere about was teaching God's Word. How are we to do that today? How was it that they were doing it in the New Testament church? And I would say to you that the apostles taught the Word of God systematically. And so you and I, when we teach the Word of God to our kids, as we study the Word of God together as spouses, as we teach it in a life group, as we teach to students or to children or to adults, we should teach the Word of God in a very systematic way. And what that word systematic means is meaning we allow the whole counsel of God's Word to speak to the particular subject or question or specific verse that we're reading or trying to understand. Someone says, what does the Bible say about drinking, right? That's a prevalent question. What does the Bible say about sports gambling? That's a prevalent question. What, what does the Bible say about uh, this particular subject or that particular subject? What we don't do is just say one thing about one verse on that subject, but we allow the whole counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation to weigh in on that particular subject. And the reason that we do that is because we do not want to take the word out of its historic context or out of its biblical or canonical context. We want to make sure that we're reading it correctly to the audience and that it's in its proper place as the Holy Spirit has laid it out to us. And we want to make sure that we're not taking it out of its immediate context. And so here's what we oftentimes do. Listen to me. We will get a question 
We will read a verse. We may have a subject that we're wanting to study about. And what we will do is we will start with our immediate context. And then what we try to do is work backwards to understand that particular question, that particular subject, or uh, that particular verse. And I would say to you, when a subject, when a verse, uh, when a uh, particular question arises, we should first begin to look at God's Word, and we should look at God's Word systematically and let the whole counsel of God speak. And so for all of you who have been in church your whole life and you're uh, maybe what I would call an older timer or a senior adult, and you used to listen to preachers who would get hot and they would stomp, they would spit a little bit, and they would say, the whole counsel of God is the Word of God. How many of you have ever heard that phrase, the whole counsel of God? Raise your hand, right? The whole counsel of God speaks to an issue. And what we call that is allowing the Word of God to systematically speak to that particular verse, question, or subject. So we teach God's Word systematically. If someone says something like, what does the Bible say about sports gambling, right? That's a new subject. Uh, bill's just been put out on the floor with a bunch of other awful bills uh, right now being offered by Republicans and Democrats, bedfellows, and they don't even know it. Hello? bedfellows and they don't even know it. Someone say amen. You're, you're meddling now, preacher. Okay, I'll get back to the word. Um, I said to that person this week, man, the Bible says a ton about sports gambling. For it or against it? And I said it's against it. Because that form of gambling relies on taking someone's money who loses the bet to reward the person who wins the bet. So the Bible says a lot about taking advantage of your neighbor and about being a good neighbor and about loving your neighbor. Are y'all with me today? If you are, say amen. And so they said, well, can you give me one verse? And I said, I can. I gave them a, a verse in Proverbs and I said, but I would encourage you, you camp out in the book of Proverbs, all 31 of those chapters, and I said, you're going to come away realizing, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. That is not God's intended way to take care of his people. So we teach God's word systematically. If you've got it, say amen. We teach God's word expositionally. What's that? What kind of word is that, preacher? Here's what expositional preaching is, expositional teaching is. It's letting the text drive the sermon or message. This is not topical or it's not story driven. I want to say something to you. If you were raised on story driven preaching, it's taken you a long time to get used to my preaching. Or you're still not used to it and you'd say, I wish he would tell a lot more anecdotal stories that would make me laugh. But there's an issue that comes with that. God wants his word to speak and to speak clearly with some application being made. But he does not want the sermon to be all applicable with some of the word applied. 
So y'all see the difference in those two things? It is what's going to drive that sermon or what's going to drive that text. Moeller says this, Al Moeller says this, in his definition of expositional preaching, he says, expository preaching is that mode of Christian preaching that takes as its central purpose the presentation and application of the text of the Bible. All other issues and, concern, and concerns are sub, subordinated to the central task of presenting the biblical text. As the Word of God, the text of Scripture has the right to establish both the substance and the structure of the sermon. Genuine exposition takes place when the preacher sets forth the meaning and message of the biblical text and makes clear how the Word of God establishes the identity and worldview of the church as the people of God. We teach God's Word expositionally, letting the text drive the sermon. Peter gives an example of that in his sermon during Pentecost when the Spirit had descended. Look with me at verses 17 through 21 and then verse 33. Will you look there? A matter of fact, to set it in its proper context, look at verse 16. Now, this is Peter preaching, but I want you to notice what he does. He says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood, but before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then look at verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received uh, from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this you yourselves are seeing and hearing. What was Peter doing? Peter was quoting and preaching Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. So a question had come up. Are these men drunk with new wine? Are these people who are preaching and proclaiming and everybody's hearing in their own language, are they full of new wine? And Peter said, I'm going to answer that, and I'm going to answer that expositionally, and I'm going to begin to show you the book of Joel, chapter 2. He does it again in verses 25 through 28 when he quotes Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. He does it first to show them that the Spirit has come from the Son. And then he does it in verses 25 through 28 to show that the Son has been raised by the Father. So when he's presenting this gospel and helping them to understand about the Holy Spirit, he finally comes down to verses 33 through 36, and he shares Psalm 110, and he says, The Father has exalted the Son. What was Peter doing? He was expositionally preaching the Word of God. The Spirit's come from the Son. The Son has been raised by the Father. The Father has exalted the Son. Therefore, the Son has sent the Holy Spirit to fill us. The Word of God is what was being taught. So we teach the Word systematically and we teach the Word expositionally. One day, I'm not going to be the pastor at Calvary Baptist Church. I don't know when that day will be. But one day, I'm not going to be that pastor. I could keel over with a heart attack today. God could call me somewhere. Uh, time could just run out. 
here's what I absolutely am certain of. The next pastor that you should have should be an expositional preacher who's going to let the word of God drive the sermons and the message and they're going to thoroughly teach you and equip you with the word of God. If you believe that to be true, say amen. Y'all don't need somebody who's going to scratch that itching ear, right? Some of y'all come and you think, I need to learn how to be a better husband. I need to learn how to be a better wife. I need to learn how to be a better parent. I need to learn how to be a better teenager. I need to learn how to be a better student. I need to learn, I need to learn, I need to learn this. Let me tell you what you need to learn. You need to learn how Jesus is your all in all and how you submit to him. And as you submit to the gospel and you understand the gospel in its context, you'll begin to understand God's not silent on any of those questions. God wants to answer every one of those questions, but the answer comes through Jesus Christ. If you believe it, say amen. All right, quickly, we teach God's word systematically, systematically, expositionally, and then we teach God's word in a gospel-centered way. Gospel, uh, it's gospel-centric, meaning that the gospel is clearly evident and seen through all the stories of the Old and New Testament. All of Scripture points to Jesus as our rescuing Savior and as our royal sovereign. Peter does that so well here in Acts chapter 2. So healthy churches teach God's word systematically, expositionally, and in a gospel-centric way. Look at verse 22. Notice what Peter said in his sermon. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man, Jesus of Nazareth, a man, attested to you by God with mighty works, wonders, and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Verse 22, he ties this whole filling of the Holy Spirit, and he's beginning to help them understand who Jesus was, and he begins at the incarnation of Jesus in verse 22. He says, let me tell you about this man, Jesus, because he's about to tell them here just in a little bit, he's the God-man. He's the sovereign. He is the Lord, right? And so he begins by saying, this Lord was a man. And so he begins telling them about the incarnation. Look at verse 23. He tells them about the crucifixion. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. He began to explain to them about the crucifixion of the Lord. He was preaching the word of God expositionally in a gospel-centered way so that they could understand how what they were seeing and hearing, how the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. Verses 24 through 32, he speaks about the resurrection of the Lord. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David concerning, says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. 
Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Aren't you glad we serve a risen Savior? Amen? What's he doing? Peter is saying, let me tell you about when Jesus was born. Let me tell you about how Jesus died. Let me tell you about how Jesus rose from the dead. And then he says, let me tell you about how Jesus was exalted. He taught them about the exaltation. Verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you have crucified. We teach God's word in a gospel-centered way, expositionally and systematically. And then lastly this morning, we're sincere about learning God's word. We are sincere about teaching God's word. And healthy churches are sincere about exalting God's word. In verse 46, it says, And day by day, attending the temple together. I want you to think with me about what that means. They exalted God's word together. We exalt God's word in all of our experiences. John Phillips is a commentator I read quite often. I have not all of his commentaries, but a bunch of them. And in exploring Acts, I want you to listen to what he says. He says, our experiences must always be tested by biblical doctrine and not doctrine by our experiences. When the devil starts filling your mind with how you feel, you need to ask the Lord, Lord, is this true? Because oftentimes what the devil wants to make you feel is nothing, there's no truth to it. God is thinking something completely different about you. Let me give you one example of that, and then we'll move quickly toward closing. Oftentimes, the enemy makes us feel like we should live in shame because of our sins, right? But the Bible clearly teaches there is therefore now no condemnation, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ, who walk after the Spirit, not uh, after the flesh. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that when you're feeling like I'm this miserable, I'm this miserable Christian, I never get it right, God knows all that. But He's forgiving you for that, and He loves you anyway, right? God, God has your eternity secured by Jesus' work on the cross and the resurrection, and Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and He is making our case for us. But the enemy wants us to live in shame 
so that we will never uh, receive the boldness and the fullness of the Holy Spirit so that we can just be the men and women that God's called us to be. If you understand that, nod at me like this. When the enemy says, I don't feel this way, or this is the way I should feel, before you major on your feelings, you need to ask God, is that feeling true? And I think you'll find out more times than not, it's absolutely not true. And then here's the other thing. Will you stand to your feet? We exalt God's word in our experiences, but we exalt God's word in our thinking. In our thinking. John Stott says, New converts were not enjoying this mystical experience in Acts 2, which led them to despise their mind or to hate theology. Listen to what he says. Anti-intellectualism, that means you don't think you should use your mind or you think thinking or being intellectual or being educational about the Lord is somehow wrong. He said, anti-intellectualism and the fullness of the Spirit are mutually incompatible. So a lot of times, listen, this is how you will hear it presented in our area, in our region, and on TV. God doesn't care what you know. God just wants you to feel His presence. That's what He'll say. God just wants you to feel His presence. And what they're doing is they're trying to divide what we think and what we know to be true from how the Holy Spirit of God bears witness in our hearts and life. What Stott was saying is intellectualism and the fullness of the Holy Spirit are completely compatible because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. Oh, my brothers and sisters, doctrine is not a dirty word, but it's a good word. Understanding God's word and growing in it is a wonderful thing. Preacher, I just think doctrine divides churches. Oh, no, it doesn't. It's a misunderstanding and a limited knowledge of doctrine that divides churches and people. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, and he brings all things together. So we exalt God's word in our experiences and our thinking, and then we exalt God's word in our practice. Day by day, attending the temple together. I mean, you need to hear this real quick. What they were doing in the temple was hearing the Old Testament read. And there was always an opportunity during the temple for the guest prophet, the guest priest, uh, the guest Pharisee to be able to speak to that. They would give someone a seat of honor. And so what the apostles were doing was they were taking advantage of that seat of honor. And they would go, and then when they would say, interpret that particular text that was read, they would begin to proclaim Jesus through the Old Testament that was being shared. So what they were doing was day by day, they were going to the temple, and they were sharing the word of God. And boldness came upon them, and they began to share it in their homes, and they began to share it in their community, and they just began to faithfully teach and proclaim the word of God. Can we make this our prayer today? That out of all we are recognized for as a church family, out of everything that we want to aspire to be, 
that we want to be a church that intently focuses on the right preaching and teaching of God's word. If you believe that's vitally important, you'll commit to pray that. Will you raise your hands high? Let's make that our prayer this morning, all right? Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, how we need you. Lord, we need you to proclaim. We need you to teach. God, we need you to give us a hunger to be devoted to learn your word. God, we want to exalt your word. Lord, we don't want to just take your word and use it as a transition. But God, we want to take your word and we want to hide it in our hearts. We want to learn you and know of you and grow in you. Because God, our confession today, even as we've heard from Peter today, God, that all of the word points to you. And so God, I pray that you would allow us to measure on biblical truth. God, that we would grow in sound doctrine, that we would learn the word more in 2020 than we ever have before as a church family. God, as our church council guys and our deacons read together, and God, we clarify and renew our biblical and theological vision for our church. God, I pray that you would speak to us through these books. And Lord, as we just read those things when we first began ministry here, we read Dever's Healthy Church and taught on that on Wednesday nights. I pray, God, that you would rekindle our hearts fresh and new. God, for some, some of this truth would be first-time truth. And then, God, I, I pray that you would allow us to take it, hide it in our hearts, and then, Lord, seek to allow you to apply it to our life as an outworking of the Holy Spirit working in us and the truth of God being conveyed through us. And so, Lord, may you draw attention to yourself today through your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And you all said amen.